Getting Better Healthcare is brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Healthcare, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better healthcare and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman founder of the DrScore.com physician rating website. Well, on today's program, we're going to speak to a physician about the physician's perspective on what's wrong with our healthcare system and what we need to do to make it better. Our guest is a representative of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. This is a nonpartisan professional association of physicians in all types of practices and specialties across the country. This is not the American Medical Association. This is an alternative organization of American physicians. The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, the AAPS, is a strong believer in the sanctity of the patient-physician relationship and the practice of private medicine. Our guest today is Dr. Jane Orient. Dr. Orient is a member of the AAPS and a practicing internist. Dr. Orient, thank you so much for joining me on the program today. Tell me, um, you know, I think many people, most of our listeners have probably heard of the American Medical Association. They think of it as the association uh, of doctors in the United States. Tell us about the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, the AAPS. AAPS was founded in 1943 because we felt that even back then the AMA was not doing its job. And now while the AMA claims to be the voice of all physicians, its membership is down to some 10% of practicing physicians. And many physicians are very disaffected with it because it, they, it really has betrayed what its original purpose was, which was to defend uh, private physicians. <laughs> And, so, and the the mission of the AAPS is it is it different is it to defend physicians? It's to defend private medicine and to fight against the takeover of medicine, but primarily by the government, but also by other third parties who are intruding between the patient and physician. As so, we see it, the patient-physician relationship is what medicine is really about. I, I have the sense that people look at these organizations. All of them and say, "Oh, these are just you know, self-centered doctors and such." Um, but in large part, these organizations are, are really working to help patients. Is that right? Well, if if your doctor is driven out of practice, who is going to take care of you? Uh, we do, AAPS does not go to the government with our handout. We go to them asking it to be left alone to have our freedom so that we can serve our patient without this increasingly complicated and costly bureaucratic maze that the government is inflicting on us. I have the sense that some people believe that government is trying to be involved in medicine because 
they want to control people's lives. But, but um, you know, I, I think putting that kind of motivation into other people's minds, whenever we ascribe uh, ill motivations to other people, I think we're usually, we're usually wrong. I've discovered that in, in, you know, in my practice of medicine. Um, I have the sense that the, the efforts to intrude are perhaps misguided, but, but perhaps but, but their efforts to try to help improve the care that patients get, um, you're seeing that it's, it's not doing that. Right. That's not been the result. Now, of course, you can't really tell what other people's motives are, but on the other hand, sometimes they tell you what they are. And Otto von Bismarck, the Iron Chancellor in Prussia, who started this whole movement towards state-paid medical benefits, said it quite, quite honestly. Um, we need to make people more dependent on the state for this very important benefit because that will increase the power of the Kaiser. And that is the result, that if, if people are looking to the government only for relief of pain and illness and, and fear of death, then, then the government power grows and grows and grows, which is what we have certainly seen in well, this country. There may be well-intentioned people here, but if you look at what's happening, then um, they might as well have the evil motives. Well, let, let's leave, leave the evil motives out of it for just a moment uh, and just look at the results. So I, th- I have the sense that the people who want to expand the government role in healthcare look at the millions of people who are uninsured and think, gosh, we have to do something to help them um, have better access to care. What would the AAPS say is the solution to the uninsured problem? Well, why are we posing it as an uninsured problem? Insurance is just one way to pay for medical care. It's the most expensive way. Um, the root of the problem and the reason why we think there are, why medical care costs so much and why there are so many uninsured people is because we've gone to a third-party payment system where instead of having, like, casualty insurance, where if you have a catastrophic loss, the insurance company writes you a check. We have all of these health plans that are involved at every phase of the practice. 85% of the medical dollar goes through a third party, a bureaucrat, a parasite, someone who, is, who is, uh, has an interest in, in um, decreasing expenditures, but on the other hand, skims off a piece of whatever money goes through it. So I think if we got rid of third-party payment, we might see costs drop dramatically, maybe by a third or even a half. And certainly we've already seen this happen in facilities that take cash only and do not funnel all the money through a third party. Tell me more detail about that. Well, there's a surgery center of Oklahoma City, surgerycenterok.com, where they have a a very impressive ambulatory care surgery facility 50 surgeons on the staff, and the prices they charge, which includes the surgeon, the facility, the anesthesia, is about 20% of what hospitals charge because they get rid of all of this useless, expensive overhead. Now, now, is that basically true of surgical centers in general, whether they're paid by a third party or not? No, 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 no. The ones that are paid by a third party, their fees are, are just as high as, uh, as the others. Uh, wait a minute. Now you've lost me because I understood that one reason that Medicare likes the idea of, you know, outpatient surgical centers is by moving people out of the hospital into these outpatient surgical centers, you actually end up with much lower fees, um, even to, to third parties. 
yes, but Medicare still pays a big facility fee, and there's still it's a huge overhead cost for the facility in complying with all the rules and regulations. I mean, there some people have said that the hospital has spends about half personnel time on complying with Medicare, as at, you know, just as much time complying as it does with taking care of Medicare beneficiaries. And that does not surprise me. <laughs> You know, all the codes, all of the rules and regulations, it really is a very, very huge and non-productive burden. Okay. Um, you know, my son was asking me the other day if we couldn't even go a step farther and say, you know what, yeah, it's, it doesn't make sense to make people see a doctor for their medical care. Um, there's all this regulation to become a doctor. I'm a dermatologist. You know, I spent four years in medical school learning internal anatomy and physiology that I don't really use on a day-to-day -day basis. Wouldn't it be better just to let people see a, a somebody who was just trained to look at the symptoms and prescribe the right medicine and, and, and not have the monopoly um, power that, uh, you know, state regulations of medical practice entail? Well, that's a heretical view, and I'm yeah. sure the AMA would not <laughs> like to hear that from you. But the fact is that all this licensure rules and all of, all of this very uh, great complexification of medical education, it was supposed to be to protect the patients, but it really was to bring about this monopoly so the physicians could limit their numbers and increase their fees. And that always results when you, when you license a profession, um, the costs go up. So you're not telling me the AAPS would, in addition to liking to see the reduction in in, in in government control and government regulations would go so far as to say, well, you know, we really ought to get them out of doctor licensing, too. There are some of our members who hold that view, and there That's are others awesome. who disagree with it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think that, that really if you have a serious illness, you are better off seeing a very well-trained physician. Um, just like if you want to take your watch to a blacksmith to get repaired, well, you maybe not expect very good results. But, but I don't think that have the government dictating exactly what hoops somebody has to jump to to be qualified to take care of you is really that protective. Yes. You know, I think um, what it does guarantee you is the selection bias of, of, of seeing somebody who was smart enough to get into this system, smart enough to maneuver through it, and takes the is sufficiently obsessive-compulsive to dot all the I's, cross all the T's to get their license. Yes, but on the other hand, the, the, these licensure agencies are, are sometimes imposing such huge burdens and sometimes delicensing excellent physicians for no good reason, but setting up such huge bird, burdens, especially as doctors get along in their careers, that instead of putting up with this, they decide to go do something else. Doctor, you have experienced several different um, practice settings in your practice, uh, in your career in medicine. Can you tell us about them? Well, I started out at the VA. I got a job at the VA just after I finished my residency. That's great. The VA is like a leader in, in quality improvement initiatives, like making sure people's uh, you know, hemoglobin A1Cs for their diabetes are checked, Right. Well, I mean, I say they that have tongue a, in a quality this. assurance committee, which we used to call the Quack, for uh -huh. its initials. Um, but it's a single payer system, and we have a lot of rules to follow. You couldn't really take good care of the patients without violating the rules. 
They really restricted the patient's access to services. And practicing medicine by the numbers is not necessarily a good idea. I mean, there was actually a study that showed that trying real hard to control the hemoglobin A1C actually resulted in more patients dying because, of, you know, you give them too much, too much um, insulin or something, their blood sugar goes down, and it can cause brain damage and death. So, yeah, but basically the solution to that would just be to set a better bar for hemo- a little bit higher bar for the hemoglobin A1C, not to throw well, it out entirely. that's true, but, you know, if, if, you, if you are so focused on, on getting the results in range, then, then you're less attentive to the needs of the patient. Say, so, you know, this person is operating heavy equipment. We'd better not let his blood sugar go too low. Yeah. Or this person mm-hmm. has had symptoms of hypoglycemia before, is really brittle. That we shouldn't apply the same rules to her as we do to uh, other patients. Well, that's sensible. So you went from the VA to academics? Uh, well, I was the academic at the VA. I was on the faculty at the University of Arizona College of Medicine. I went into solo private practice, which is where I've been since then. How would you compare the two? Well, um, working for the VA has a lot of advantages. You get your paycheck every two weeks, no matter what. You get all your weekends and holidays off. Uh, it's just kind of frustrating not to be able to take the best care of your patients. You have to work a lot harder in private practice. Your paycheck depends on whether or not patients see that you're worth worth coming to see. But you do get to um, practice medicine the way that you think it should be done. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. We're speaking today with Dr. Jane Orient from the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. I get the sense that you feel strongly that um, that the joy of, of of seeing patients and giving them the best possible care is really the key driver for why you think uh, private practice is the best solution. Absolutely, I think that as Hippocrates said. A real physician practices up for love, love of the art, for love of humanity. Um, that the sort of person who loves doing that is not going to be happy man, uh, maneuvering through bureaucratic mazes or pushing little levers with the right codes on them or checking little boxes or punching a time clock. But that just, they're just two different types of people who uh, would go into medicine. Um, the... You know, I, I think when we went to medical school, we were all basically the same kind of person. And so that it's the incentive structures in these different systems that, that, that change the way even the same kind of person will behave. Oh, I think that that is true. And I think that if we go to a system of salaries or of, of uh, rewards for, you know, having the, the numbers within range um, and for not prescribing too much expensive stuff, Doctors will respond to the incentives. They are human. And what we see in residents, say, for example, where, the, where the, all of the residents get the same salary no matter how much work they do, we see work avoidance behavior. You may be familiar with that awful novel, The House of God, which talks about buffing the chart and turfing the patient. You want to get the difficult, time-consuming, demanding patients off your service onto somebody else's service as soon as you can. And that's the attitude of shift workers. The problem comes up at 4 o'clock. You try to shift it on to the next guy. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. Our guest today is Dr. Jane Orient, 
of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. We're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Orient next week. We'll continue our discussion of the healthcare system and its problems and get her specific suggestions on how we can make our health system a, a better system for doctors and their patients. Getting Better Healthcare has been brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.